and I've been preaching a series called Zoe on the victorious life, and the, the term Zoe comes out of John chapter 10, and the first week we talked about the life of God and how the life of God comes in a person when they're born again, and that life of God comes and renovates everything and changes everything. Okay, all based out of John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus came to give us more abundant life, not a depressed, broken down, barely making it through life. He came to give us a victorious life, a life where we experience victory in every circumstance, victory in everything that comes our way. Amen. And so the first week I talked about what it means to have the life of God in you and how the life of God comes and uh, manifests in evidence and a changed life. And then last week I, I dealt with one of the greatest concepts, I think, in the Christian life, and that is uh, peace and how the peace of God comes as part of the abundant life. Peace of God comes and peace of God remains. God gives us peace not as the world gives he gives us peace that's beyond this world. And I don't know about you, but I had to practice that this week. Maybe you did too, to walk in the peace of God. Well, today I'm going to talk about another aspect of the abundant life that God gives. I've preached on this theme before, but I'm going to attack it in a different way this morning. And that is joy. God gives us joy like the world can't give us. And joy is a manifestation of the abundant life. I heard one preacher say this, that maybe joy is the biggest evidence that you're born again. That's arguably true, but think about it. Could joy be the biggest evidence that you're actually a born-again believer? Hallelujah. John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. How many want fullness of joy in their, in their lives? Amen? I'm going to dig back into history here. Medieval writer named Thomas Aquinas, who I've quoted a lot. He was a, to the Catholics, he's a saint. But Thomas Aquinas, I love going to him because he always has an answer for something. Right or wrong, he has an answer. But Aquinas said joy is caused by love. That joy is a product of love. That once we experience love, joy is birthed. And I began thinking about this, that when we experience the love of God, that a natural manifestation of that love is joy. And joy is different than happiness. It's defined differently. That happiness can be mean I go to new quality ice cream. And I get one of these cones 
and I'm happy. It's fleeting, and it only lasts for a moment. But joy lasts when you're at new quality and when you're not at new quality. Joy is when things are going good or when things are not going good. Amen? You experience joy because joy has a different, it's a different, um, it's a state of being as opposed to an emotion. So happiness deals more with an emotion, but joy is a state of being for the believer. It's how we live. Amen? So biblically, joy is a response to the love of God and a response to discovering all that God has for us. You think about um, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary came to visit her, who was pregnant with Jesus himself. And Elizabeth said, as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. As soon as I heard the noise of you coming in, the child leaped for joy. This is, this, is, this is what happens. This is like a microcosm of what happens in our lives. When we hear the good news, something stirs within us, and then joy comes and leaps within our spiritual womb, so to speak. Amen? The Bible says when Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in a tree and he called him down, that he received Jesus with joy. He received the call with joy. John 15, 7, Jesus said, I say to you that even there there shall be joy in heaven upon one sinner that does repent. So joy is something produced in discovering who God is and discovering the truth. It also can mean a sense of completeness of one's entire life. Like we read, Jesus said, these things that I've spoken to you, that my joy may be full and that your joy may be full, that we have a completeness, something. And then we know also that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you a few ways here how to walk in joy at all times. We have it within us as as part of the abundant life, but how do we walk in joy at all times? Y'all ready? Shout a hallelujah. It's Come on. Thank God for air conditioning. Supposed to be 117, somebody said, with the heat index today. First of all, let's read this passage, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. This is when Jesus sent his disciples out, and he sent them out two by two to preach the gospel and heal the sick. Luke 10, 17. Then the 70 returned with joy. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I think, you know, this, is, this could mean one of two things. Number one, Jesus was looking back into, the, into eternity past, where he actually saw Satan fall from heaven. Or he's speaking of a present reality that when the disciples went out and ministered, he actually saw it shaking the kingdom of Satan and Satan falling. I like the latter, to be honest with you. Verse 19, 
Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. So I've given you this authority, he said, that you'll go out and cast out demons and you have power over all the power of the enemy. Listen, folks, this was before the cross. If if the disciples had that power before the cross, what did they have after the cross? When Satan was completely defeated. And so you and I walk in that same authority today that was given to the 70 there in Luke chapter 10 that now you have all authority over all of the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall harm you. But then Jesus says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So we need to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. This is, this, if you want to walk in complete joy, and, and I began thinking about this, and I've never thought about this passage of Scripture in this way. So I always thought about, well, Jesus didn't want them demon-focused. He, they would cast out demons. They would have all authority over the devil. But he wanted them to be heaven-focused and heaven-minded. But as I began looking at this further, <clears throat> I think it goes deeper than that. I think, I think that casting out demons is one of the many acts that the disciples would do. It's one of the many works that the disciples would do. And I think maybe the deeper truth here is that Jesus is saying don't rejoice just because you can go out and do a lot of cool things. Don't rejoice because you can do a lot of cool works. Because joy goes deeper than works. Joy goes deeper than works because if joy is dependent upon works, then if we're not working, we won't have joy. Or if something doesn't work the way we think it should work, maybe we will lose our joy. But we can't. We can't lose our joy because our joy isn't dependent upon works. It isn't dependent upon healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the gospel. But joy is related to our names being written in heaven. Joy is related to grace. Joy is, joy, joy is given to us just because we know the Lord. Just because we've been born again. And because we've received that grace, we've tapped into joy, into eternal joy. Oh, hallelujah. So rejoice. So rejoice. That, it, it should be good news to you. That means you're going to have joy tomorrow morning when you wake up. It means you're going to have joy tomorrow night when you go to bed. It means you're going to have joy that surpasses or transcends anything that happens in life. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers trials and temptations. Count it all joy. Why? Because those temptations can't take your joy from you. 
Those trials can't take your joy from you. I heard Bill Johnson say it this way. He said, trials and temptations don't bring us joy. God brings us joy. But like a jeweler, when, you wanna, when you're looking at jewelry in a, in, a, you know, in, a, in a case and you say, let me see that bracelet, the jeweler will bring that bracelet out and set it on a felt pad, blue or black. And the reason he does that is to make that piece of jewelry pop. And trials don't come to give us joy, but they do <clears throat> make it pop. Because when we walk through trials, people can stand back and say, oh, they're handling it differently. They're handling it different than the world would handle it. Why? Because they've got something in them the world doesn't have in them. Come on, somebody's going to get this about lunchtime, hallelujah. But you have something in you the world doesn't have, and it causes it to pop. So when you walk through a trial, you walk through it like the world doesn't walk through the trial. It can't take you out. It can't break you. It doesn't make you sad. It doesn't make you depressed because you walk through knowing it's related to your position in heaven. That joy is connect connected to your position in heaven, and it is a state of being. This makes me want to run around the parking lot, even in 117 degree heat. Hallelujah. Look at somebody next to you and say, joy, it's who you are. Look at somebody else and say, joy, it's who you are. So when they came back to Jesus, he said, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Then, verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. He rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Now, when it says he rejoiced here, this is a term in Greek that means he had exceeding joy. And if you look into Strong's Old Concordance, one of the options for interpreting this verse is he jumped or he leaped and spun around. I prefer the latter personally. To see Jesus, because we see these 1950s and 70s movies of Jesus, and he had to walk along kind of like, you know, a reverent saint in our minds. But to think about Jesus back by the campfire, waiting on the disciples to come back, reporting of all of the glory of their ministry and all that they did out there, and then Jesus just leaps and spins around and shouts. I'm just going to say it. He was a Pentecostal before we were. Somebody shout amen. Hallelujah! Leaping and spinning around, joy is related to our position in heaven. Notice John chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Whatever 
you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. That should blow out every bit of limiting thought that we have about God. It's like the blank check of prayer. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Why will the Father give? Why will the Father answer prayers? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God wants to answer prayer. I know this is a massive revelation for us. But so many times I think we've, we've dealt with, built theologies around, written books about, taught classes on why God didn't show up. Or why some prayer wasn't answered. Or why we didn't have the breakthrough we thought we should have. Or why the check didn't come in the mail. And we've built theologies around that and focused on it so much I think it's time to let the Bible speak. Amen? Let's not be fixated on all the supposed misses, but let's be fixated on the truth. And the truth is, Jesus is saying, the Father has an open door before you. Whatever you ask in my name, He's going to do it. And the reason He's doing it is so that your joy may be capped off and filled up to the maximum. Because God doesn't want you depressed, dragging the bottom, scraping along. He wants you to be full of joy, overflowed, and I feel like I'm shouting it. And He wants you to be overflowing with joy because your joy becomes contagious and you are a representation of your Father in heaven and He wants a good representation of Himself on planet earth and let it be as it is in heaven now on earth. Let us be full of joy walking in the power of answered prayer. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, look at somebody and say, that'll make a wooden man shout. Amen? Come on. Answers to prayer. God is waiting on us to pray, wants us to pray, wants us to ask things in Jesus' name, and is delighted to answer our prayers. And you would say, yeah, but Brother Hans. I've got all these things I haven't had answers of prayer. All I would say is, start with yourself then. Start with your, this is where I am. Start with yourself. Start searching your heart. See if you're on the right scriptures. See if your motivations and desires of your heart are correct. And then get in faith and, and watch what words you're proclaiming. Watch who you're agreeing with. Watch how you're living. See if there's any unforgiveness in your heart. Come on, I could go on and on and on. But let's go back to ourselves and st- try, instead of trying to build some huge theology of a God who doesn't answer prayer. I'm going to rejoice because I know my God answers prayer. I'm going to rejoice because I know my God answers prayer. I don't know if you've ever read any of the works of George Mueller. 
But if you ever read the works of George Mueller, he was a, uh, a, uh, a man in Britain, a minister who ran orphanages. And he just declared he would never ask for help. That was his conviction. So he never asked for help financially. He would always just take it to the Lord in prayer. And if you read his works, they're absolutely phenomenal. And they're so encouraging as to how God will answer prayer. One night, they sat down with all the uh, kids from the orphanage, and they had no food. So they sat down at the dinner table, just like they were going to eat a massive meal. They sat down, and George said, let's pray. And they prayed, and they asked God. And then, as they were praying, knock came at the door. They go to the door, and here's a sack of potatoes, and here's all, here's all the supplies they need. Over and over and over stories like that. Think of John G. Lake, who left his profession and went to Alexander Dowie's healing school and healing town called Zion, Illinois. And then he felt called into missions. And so before he went, though, he gave all of his money basically away. And so he showed up, and he didn't have a ticket to go to Africa as a missionary and didn't have the money. So he prayed. And he shows up at the docks and someone walks up and hands him everything he needs to go to Africa. And so goes his life. Christian history is filled with people who've walked by faith and lived in the joy of God answering their prayers. I think sometimes we live in such a satisfied society that we no longer feel the need to ask God for things. I told Dana the other night, I feel some of the greatest answers to prayer have, have, you know, I'll get in the presence of the Lord and pray, and I love just being in His presence. I love praying in the Spirit. I love worshiping, and I think God loves that. But it seems to me that when I've had the greatest answers of prayer is when I've had an assurity in my heart, and I've come out of those times, and I said, okay, Lord, here's the deal. I need this to happen, and Father, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to move, and, I'm a- and get real specific about it, and be real pointed about it, and just talk to the Lord like I'm making a business deal. One man who runs one of the wealthiest ministries in the world said every year they come together as a board of directors, and they determine the financial needs of their ministry for the following year and what they're believing for in the following year. And then they have an attorney present, and they draw up a formal agreement with God. And they make a formal petition to the Lord, and they all sign it. Father, this is what we ask in prayer, in faith believing for this next year for you to do in our lives. See, I think sometimes, I didn't mean to preach on prayer this morning, but it's good. Sometimes I think we get in prayer and we just pray a bunch of religious stuff or a bunch of traditional stuff instead of really getting pointed, standing on Scripture and saying, now, Lord, you said it here. I'm, you say you delight in answering my prayers. You said you'll give me anything I ask in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, you said you respond to faith. And if I have faith, I can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into sea, and I'll have whatsoever I say. Then, Lord, I'm coming to you, and I'm standing on these scriptures, and I'm believing for this need to be met in my life. And I'm asking that you open the windows of heaven and provide. And now that I've asked you, I'm not going to doubt, and I'm 
I'm not going to waver. I'm never backing down from my stand right now in faith. And I'm going to walk on until I see the manifestation and the prayer answered. I'm going to stand, Lord. Come on, somebody give him a shout, hallelujah. Why? So that my joy may be full. Galatians 5, verse 22, talks about the work of the flesh. Paul said the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh, they're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And he said, which I've told you beforehand, just I tell you now is in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he comes down and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us Walk in the Spirit. Notice the first of the fruit of love. Uh, first fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. These are produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are not given of the flesh. It's just produced of the Spirit. I thought about it. Is there a way I can increase joy in my life? And I don't know that there is. Because it is a gift. It's, it's, it's related to my position in heaven. The Father gives it to me. And then it becomes a fruit of the Spirit. And I know the fruits grow in our lives. But they're not of the flesh. They're of the Spirit. And so it's produced of the Spirit, which means it's not natural. It means I have it when everyone else around me doesn't have it. It means I have it when everything else is failing. If the stock market crashes, we still, we, we're still going to have joy. Hallelujah. If your favorite baseball team doesn't win this afternoon, you're still going to have joy. You might not be happy, but you're going to have joy. If your favorite NASCAR racer, I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, if he doesn't win on Sunday, you're still going to have joy. If you're born again, you're going to have joy. If the Holy Ghost is living within you, you're still going to have joy. Hallelujah. Come on, can somebody shout amen out there? Come on, come on, raise your hand and say, I'm still going to have joy. Come on, say it with me. The world didn't give it. world can't take it. Come on, the world didn't give it. World can't take it. Christians, if you study church history, Christians throughout the centuries have had joy in the midst of societies collapsing, in the midst of pandemics, 
in the midst of persecution, in the midst of anarchy, Christians have still had joy, and they have been the shining light, the salt and the light of the world throughout the centuries. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we're just trying to make it through getting the dishes washed. Mowing the yard. You can do it. You have joy in your heart. Hallelujah. You can make it tomorrow to work because you have joy in your heart. Your marriage is going to last because there's joy way down deep in your heart. Hallelujah, the church is going to be successful. Why? Because we're the people of joy right here in Elizabeth City on Highway 17. Hallelujah. One more thing. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 27. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround Him. Strength and joy are His dwelling. So the way this this passage portrays God is that He lives in strength and joy. That God dwells in strength and joy. So that what's the opposite of joy? It's sorrow. The opposite of joy is sorrow. And in life, we experience some sorrows. But He has carried our griefs. And He has carried our sorrows. This was, this was made so powerful to me back, uh, I think, two years ago. I was preaching in Montana, and I was under a tent preaching. And there's a gentleman who comes every year to hear me preach there, and I got to talking to him. He had spent time in North Carolina in the Army, in Fayetteville, and so we kind of have these North Carolina stories. So he came and he was talking to me, and uh, he said, you know, I lost a child. He had had a pretty rough existence, and uh, he said, I've got a bullet hole right here where the police shot me. He said, And he said, I deserved shooting. Police were right. I was a criminal and running from them, but he lived. Rough story. But anyhow, he had lost a son. And he said, after losing my son, I didn't know how I would handle it. But then I turned over and read Isaiah chapter 53. And we think about this only in physical healing because we use this verse so much to stand on when we pray for healing for people. But I want you to think about it with sorrow. Isaiah 53 Let's just go ahead and read it here. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. So it's interesting that God took all of our sorrows to the cross. And instead, exchange them for joy. And now we take off the garments of sorrow. And He puts upon us the garments of joy and rejoicing. 
and people wonder, how are you making it through this? And you get to testify, I'm making it because the Lord has given me joy. He has given me joy in the midst of sorrow. He's given me joy in the midst of grief. And that's what happens. It's, his, it's in His presence. It's His dwelling place. Then Psalm 16 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in your presence are fullness of joy. And this is the way I see it. And y'all can judge it. But, I, you know, I have the presence of the Lord in me. We have the presence of the Lord in us. But there's something that happens when we come together and worship Him. There is a corporate sense of His presence that comes. It was happening this morning. There's a corporate sense of His presence that comes. And I want to step over into that because I know in His presence is fullness of joy. And so when I rejoice, when I rejoice or when I worship, I'm actually stepping out in faith and connecting with who He is in heaven and who I really am seated with Him in heavenly places. And I'm connecting with that whole realm of joy. I'm, I'm going to roll through that one one more time. Because I want everybody to get it. When, you leave. when we worship and when we praise, we're connecting with heaven's atmosphere. And we are by faith reaching into that throne room of joy. And we're pulling on that. It's already in us, but we're pulling on it, stepping into it, walking in it. That's why we need to laugh sometimes in church. I'm not talking about irreverently. I'm talking about in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> because you can't be sorrowful and laugh. Or at least it's very difficult. That's why we need to dance in church under the inspiration of the Spirit. Why? Because it's hard to dance and be sad. Is anybody in this church this morning? Come on. So I'm not going to ask you to stand and laugh and dance, but I might. I don't know it. Because how can you be sorrowful when you're dancing? You know? It's, I remember the first time I ever went to Israel, 1991. We're going up to a, uh, visit a crusader castle up in the northern part of Israel. And we're going along the streets up to this crusader castle. And we look out the right windows of the bus and we get to see a Jewish wedding procession. And you know what they were doing? They were dancing. They weren't like, oh, God. She just got married. Lord, I mean, some of y'all maybe have felt like that. I don't know, but, oh, Lord, they just got married. Their life's over. No, they had a proper biblical view of it. Hey, I'm looking Russian here, but I don't care. Whatever. We're going to dance and celebrate. And when you dance and celebrate, it's hard to bellyache and moan. You kind of start smiling about it. 
And everybody kind of starts laughing about it. And then all of a sudden the sorrow and grief fades away and the joy manifests that's already in your life. It comes out like a lion. Hallelujah. That's what our worship services are about. That's why we worship like we do. That's why we love to enter into worship. Why? Because it blows the sorrow out. It blows the grief out. It blows the depression out. If you'll just engage and enter in by faith, you're stepping into that next realm. You're declaring, I am serving a God of joy. I am serving a God of happiness and peace. I am going to manifest the Spirit here. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say. Something we learned recently is that when we go into worship, we also declare the dominion of God to that atmosphere. What do I mean by that? Let me break it down. When I start worshiping, I start exalting God, putting Him in His proper position and declaring He is the one I'm serving and He's in control in this situation. So I'm just going to worship right now. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you praise, God, because you're in control of this situation. Lord, you're greater than anything here. You're greater than any other principality or power. And I'm going to declare your dominion right now in this place. Hallelujah. We're go- and so every time we worship, every time we have a worship night, every time we have a revival service, you know, I, 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 I don't know. One, I, just, I wonder what the kingdom of the enemy looks like in Elizabeth City when we get ready to go into a meeting like that. They're not full of joy. Because some say, yeah, but it's, you're just confined to your own church. Well, you know, our people go out everywhere. But when we come and proclaim Him and worship with all of our hearts, we start announcing to the principalities and powers, Jesus reigns in Elizabeth City. Your doom has been sealed. And your judgment day is coming. Hallelujah. And the kingdom has already come to earth. And we represent, we are trophies of God's kingdom. And now you tried to take us out, but you couldn't. We're here and we're going to dance and we're going to shout. And we're going to rejoice. And we're going to declare the joy of the Lord is our strength. Hallelujah. And I'm going to declare depression is gone. Blues have rolled away. Jesus is Lord over all the universe. Hallelujah. And I'm happy about it right now. And I'm going to share the joy joy and share the love in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a great big shout of praise. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. I just felt it. Hallelujah. One more thing and we're going to pray. Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat. I've preached on it so many times, but I looked at it differently recently. He's surrounded by all these enemy armies, and so he calls a prayer meeting. Out of the prayer meeting, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to a prophet who says, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. 
So they were given the word, the battle is not theirs, the battle is the Lord's. And so Jehoshaphat had a plan. He said, we're going to put the praise team out front who are going to rejoice. They're going to be an expression of joy on the battlefield. And as they go out, they're going to declare the beauty of holiness. They're going to praise God in the beauty of holiness. And so they went out, and what it was doing is they were worshiping the Lord, exalting Him to the highest place, and then they are, in a sense, declaring God's reign, declaring God's dominion over all of the enemies. And as they did that, God showed up and did what only He could do and confounded all of the enemies to where Israel didn't have to even pull a sword and strike one blow. Could it be that the enemy's tactic is to take you out, steal, kill, and destroy, and to suck every bit of joy out of your life that he possibly could? But yet we come today and we say, no devil, you can't do it because my joy is connected to my position in Christ. And now, hallelujah, the Holy Ghost lives within me and you can't take my joy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a knockout punch. I'm going to stand and I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to shout and I'm going to raise my voice by faith and say, my God reigns, hallelujah. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. He reigns forever and ever. He who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, hallelujah. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He rose on the third day. He's a soon coming king. He's my healer. He's my baptizer. He's my victory. God, I'm going to give you the highest praise. Hallelujah. I dare you to stand on your feet this morning and just give God the best praise you got. Let that joy bubble up in your heart. Hallelujah. Put the devil under your feet and say, No more will I be depressed. No more will I be anxious. No more will I be defeated. Jesus has already won the battle and I'm joining with Him in the heavenly host. Hallelujah. Give Him a shout. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, Give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.